title of this sermon today is I Dare You. I Dare You. When I was in high school, they had a little book written by a man, and the name of the book was I Dare You. My high school developed the I Dare You Award. And the faculty, not the students, the faculty got together and they decided there was one student out of every graduating class, one student got the I Dare You Award. And they gave it to only one student. It was the most high honor that my school, more honorable than being the valedictorian. The I Dare You Award was a statement that the faculty, not your peers, it wasn't a popularity contest, the faculty, the teachers, the administration people decided this is the student with the greatest potential in our school. <clears throat> I dare you is, is a statement of challenge. If you've seen the movie The Christmas Story with Ralphie, which is one of my... How many of you love that movie? It's just one of my favorite Christmas movies that little boy wanted the BB gun so bad. And a little kid goes out to the pole on a, on a freezing day on the, on the playground and his buddies say, I dare you, dare you to stick your tongue to the pole. He looks around, and they have this conversation, and, and then he says, I triple dog dare you. And the narrator says, oh, he, he skipped the double dare and went straight to the triple dog dare. You know, it was so funny. And you know, the, you know you've seen the movie. The guy sticks his tongue to the, to the pole, and his tongue freezes to the pole, and the fire department has, he has to come get him. And it's drama. I dare you. I double dare you. I double dog dare you. I triple dare you. I triple dog dare you. And that's the sequence of events. There is no dare higher than a triple dog dare. I dare you. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 11. This is a list of King David's, what he calls, what the Bible refers to as his mighty men. Uh, people don't realize this. They, they picture the Bible as this passive book where all the great men of the Bible wore robes and walked around holding sheep and, and being peaceful. But the truth of the matter is, that's really not how a lot of the Bible reads, if you read it. The Bible is one of the most violent books in human literature. Now, we are not advocating physical violence here today against anybody. But I do want you to understand that Christianity is, is not and was never intended to be a a religion, how do I say this tactfully? I think I'll just say it bluntly. Never intended to be a religion for pacifists and weaklings. Christianity is a religion for people who are in their hearts and spirits aggressive. The Bible says the kingdom of God is taken by violence and the violent or the forceful lay hold of it. That doesn't mean we run around acting macho and beating on people, and certainly not. Not advocating violence or a, or a cockiness. But I think, I think we, have, we have allowed over time the, no offense to anybody, but just in, in truth, we've allowed Christianity to become uh, kind of feminized in, in, our, in our paradigms, in our mindsets. And it was never that way. It was never intended to be that way. Christianity, men who are Christians are not supposed to see themselves as somehow denuded of their masculinity or somehow less masculine than people in the world. And that's a great error in thought in the kingdom of God. I can tell you now some of the greatest warriors who ever lived, you read their stories in this book, the Bible. And if the Bible were being written today, I want to ask all of us men in here, fathers today, would, would we be cut from the kind of cloth where we would be included 
in the great story and the greatest stories ever told. And I don't just mean physically. I mean in here, much more so than physically. I met some physically imposing people. You know, I was worked in a gym for a long time. I've met some big old strong, powerful people physically. But what were they like in here? I can tell you it's much more important what's inside than what our physical bodies look like. So King David made a list of the people in his army that he considered to be the mightiest, most brave, most valiant warriors in the entire army of Israel, which Israel, by this time, probably four, five, six million people. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 11, reads like this in this list. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, or beans, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Historians tell us, and there are other verses in the Bible that hint to the fact that this was actually something that happened almost every harvest season. The Philistines came to this one bean field, and they raided the field and stole the beans out of the field. Well, that was taking food directly from the mouths of the people of Israel. This went on for who knows how long. But one day, one guy decided enough is enough. Enough is enough. Now, I've got some thoughts I want to share with you today that, that have to do with what direction is your life headed in. And the first one is this. What we allow in our lives becomes our reality. What we allow in our lives becomes our reality. What, what are you going to allow to take place in your life? What are you going to permit to take place in your life? And guys, if you'll follow me on the notes back there and put that up. What we allow becomes our reality. <clears throat> I can go back in the scripture and think about some people who allowed things to happen in their lives. And the longer they went on, the more dynamic their reality became. For instance, Samson. You know the story of Samson. Uh, he, I don't believe Samson was a big, strong, physically muscled up guy. I believe Sam, Samson was an average guy. Because God doesn't, doesn't necessarily use people that look the part. He uses people that pretty much don't look the part, so he gets the glory for what's happening. So probably Samson was an average guy. But you know, the things that he did were, were amazing. He grabbed the city gates ripped them up out of the ground and walked with them to the top of the hill. City gates back then weighed sometimes over a ton. And he just picked them up and walked to the top of the hill. But that was when the Holy Spirit's anointing came on him. He, he did some amazing feats of strength. He took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men in one encounter by himself. Samson. But what he allowed to happen in his life, what he allowed himself to do started steering the ship of his destiny in the wrong direction. Samson allowed himself to lay his head in Delilah's lap over and over and over and over. Now, just a word for you folks out there who aren't married, but you're dating somebody, you're heavily involved with somebody, or 
you, you look towards somebody who, who, who you might could at some point, someday marry. A word to you. And the word is, be careful. Be careful. Oh my God, be careful. Now let me just tell you this. You are not going to make them better than they are right now. You're not. If you think, well, when I marry him, I'll fix him. Eh, time out, Johnny. Give him the consolation prize. <laughs> You're wrong. You're not going to make him better. You're not going to fix him. You're not going to change her. Only God can change people. And only if they want to be changed. So, be careful. Samson laid his head in Delilah's lap over and over and over. And Samson, the first time... He sees Delilah, and he's beautiful, and he goes, she's beautiful, and she, he goes home with her, and he lays his head. He had no intention of thinking, this is going to result with my head being shaved, all my strength gone, and my eyes burned out. Surely he never thought that. How could, and if, he, if I had walked up to Samson, been transported back in time, walked up to him the first time he laid his, his head in Delilah's lap, and, and I said, hey, Sam, if you keep doing that, here's what's going to happen to you. He would have laughed at me. Might have got up and chased me with a jawbone. I don't know. But he wouldn't have believed me. Have you ever talked to somebody? Have you ever done this? I've done this so many times. It makes me want to pull my ears off and set myself on fire run around the church. You ever told somebody something that you knew was going to happen? You knew was going to happen. Especially like, oh, let's just pick a random group. Teenagers. <laughs> and you know what's going to happen. And you try to tell them what's going to happen. And they look at you and they go, ah, that is never going to happen. And then when it happens, tears and sorrow and great chagrin, but it happened. And if they had listened to you, it would never have happened. Listen, guys, you cannot lay your head in Delilah's lap over, 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 over again and expect it not to lead someplace. You can't flirt with sin and expect it not to bite you at some point. You can't repeat a habit and expect it not to impact your lifestyle. It's going to. You can't set this compass right here on a westerly direction and decide, okay, I'm going to walk west. That's, that's west pretty much. I'm going to walk west. And, and you can't decide, I'm going to walk west, but I'm going to end up north. You're not. You're going to end up west. Samson, he went in the wrong direction for too long. Sometimes we go in the wrong direction for just too long. Sometimes it's time for us to look at ourselves and say, you know what, self? Enough is enough. You have played this game of life by your own rules long enough. Now it's time to make some changes. You've allowed things to happen. You've allowed yourself some latitudes that you shouldn't have. You've allowed yourself some parameter boundary stretching that you shouldn't have. You've allowed yourself to indulge in some things that you shouldn't have. And sometimes we have to just stand up and say to the man in the mirror, enough is enough. Israel in slavery. What we allow becomes our reality. They weren't going in the wrong direction. The problem with Israel is they weren't going anywhere. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. And until Moses showed up, they just accepted it. They just allowed it. Stop a minute and ask yourself, are there things in my life that I am so conditioned to accept 
I've never really thought about the possibility of changing them. Israel was in bondage to Egypt for 430 years, the Bible says, to the day. Children grew up in Israel where Egyptian bondage was just a way of life. From the time they were born, all they knew was slavery. From, uh, from birth to death, from the cradle to the grave, their entire life was that of a slave. It was something they were born into. They really never questioned it. I wonder how many of them asked, how did this happen to us? Why is this this way? What, what's going on here? A lot of them lived their entire lives making bricks or cutting stone or harvesting crops or whatever it might have been and probably never questioned but they were in slavery. How many things in our lives do we just accept as the status quo of our own existence and never question, could I? Is it possible? Could it be that maybe I could change this? I want you to think about that today. Are there things in your life that you've just allowed to exist that you might be able to change if you decided to? Third Goliath. Israel was on a journey. Goliath, they were going to war. They were going to fight and conquer their enemy. But Goliath stood up from the ranks of the Philistines, issued a challenge, and stopped the whole army. He was big. Nobody knows how big he was, but archaeologists and scientists tell us he could have been anywhere from 9 to 13 feet tall or, or even taller than that. You're not going to see it on the evening news, but they found skeletons of giants in the past that were just massive, huge. You won't find that on the news or in any textbooks. It's, it's all tin hat full conspiracy theorist wacko thought but, but it, because it doesn't fit the template of what our scientists teach us. But they found them and they're there. Huge, massive skeletons, some over 20 feet tall. No, no, nobody really knows how big Goliath was, but he was obviously big enough to intimidate an entire army. If you've seen Troy, the movie, where Brad Pitt plays Achilles, and I'm not saying it's necessarily all a great movie, but I have seen the opening scene where he fights the big muscled up brute of a guy from the opposing army, and it really doesn't look like he has much of a chance, but with one thrust of his sword, he kills the big muscled up guy, proving that speed and agility on the battlefield sometimes outweighs brute force and strength power. Goliath stopped the journey. But I want to tell you something about things that can stop your journey. It, 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 it doesn't have to be a giant thing to stop your journey. Sometimes a little thing can bring you to a stop. You show me, has anybody here ever hiked the Appalachian Trail? Raise your hand. If you, you've ever hiked, not all of it, just any part of it. The Appalachian Trail, got some folks here. Yeah, we've got some folks here. No through hikers who've just done the whole thing, right? Wouldn't that be a trip, literally? <laughs> 2,500 miles nonstop. Whoo, have fun with that. I'd love to do it, but one thing I'm going to do in a situation like that, I'm just going to be honest with you, if I hike it, I'm just not going to obey the game laws. If I get hungry and there's a deer, I'm going to kill the deer and I'm going to eat. Survival doesn't obey game laws. But anyway, you show me a through hiker that's somewhere in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina on the Appalachian Trail. Let me meet him up there, and let me take a little pebble and put it in his or her shoe, just a little tiny rock, and put it in their shoe. So now you can't take that out. And let's see how long they hike with that little pebble in their shoe. 
Anybody here, any man here or woman, uh, have you ever, anybody ever had a kidney stone? Raise your hand. Oh, how the mighty come to a stop and that little tiny kidney stone impacts you. I mean, something that big, and it's like, ah! It's amazing. Pastor Don and I, the first time we went to New Mexico, we were driving a little white Pontiac Sunbird. And that was back in the day when men, men wore velour. And we wore shorts that were about this short, you know. And we wore tennis shoes and tube socks back then. It was cool. Yes, I was wearing those. Yes, I'm embarrassed. And no, you can't see a picture. We got somewhere around Amarillo, Texas, and that little Pontiac Sunbird just went and stopped. I'm like, it was August. It's 107 degrees in New Mexico when we got there. I'm like, pudding pie, this ain't good. I don't know what's wrong with our car. And you know, you've seen all these movies. You break down, it's the middle of nowhere across the country, and these strange people with three or four teeth stop by, and hey, I help you there. <laughs> and they take you back and cut you up with a chainsaw. You know, those things are going through my mind. Sure enough, these guys in an old ratty pickup truck stop and get out. To, hey, you got a problem there, boy? I'm like, yeah, and I got a 44 Special back here, too. You might need to be careful. I got six good reasons why you should behave yourself. But they were real nice. They gave us a ride and actually chain-towed our vehicle into this little, little uh, station in Amarillo, a garage. Got pulled up to the garage. There were cars everywhere. This guy had like 30 cars out there. I'm like, that's going to be like next year before he gets to our car. You know? I'm going to have to get a job, stay here. You know? The guy comes out, a little sweaty Mexican guy. Yeah, hey, what's the problem, man? I thought, yeah, here's this white boy in Mexico country, you know, Mexican country. Here's this Mexican dude. He knows I'm stuck. He knows we're traveling. We're fixing to get just royally messed up. And that was what was going on in my mind right there. <laughs> alert, alert. I said, man, I don't know. My car just won't crank. Sometimes it cranks, sometimes it won't. Sometimes it runs, sometimes it doesn't. My dad worked on cars for 40 years. And I'm just not a mechanic. I, I, I know a few things, but that, that's not my forte. Um, so he says, man, you, you're, you're on the road. You're traveling. Yeah. I said, yeah, I'm trying to get to New Mexico. He said, oh, okay. He said, I got all these cars here. I said, man, look, I know, but please, I beg you, please. If it's nothing serious, maybe you could just look at it real quick. He said, well, since you're traveling, I'll look at it for you. So he opens the hood and messes around up under there, and all of a sudden he walks off. And I'm like, yay, I wanted to see that. I want to see him just walk off, you know. So maybe I'll see him next Thursday, you know. He walks off, and a few minutes later he comes back, and he fiddles around under the hood some more, and he says, okay, try it. I thought to myself, yeah, this will be a miracle. He said, I thought so. I said, is it fixed? He said, oh, yeah, we got you ready. I said, I asked the question. My heart was like, I said, how much? He said, he looked at me, grinned. He said, you ready for this? I said, yeah. He said, $4, man. I said, what? He said, yeah, $4. He said, your fuel filter was all clogged up. I put a new one in. Four bucks, you're good. I won't even charge your labor. Just pay, pay for the part. Be on your way. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's $4. 
before he changed his mind. Thank you so much. Oh, God bless you. If I had a pig, I'd give it to you. I was gone. <laughs> that little fuel filter, that little tiny $4 fuel filter, brought our whole car, all the electronics, all the power, all our hopes and dreams for that trip, our vacation, brought everything to a screeching halt, and it's a little thing about half as long as your thumb and about the same size and diameter, a little fuel filter. It doesn't have to be a giant to be a giant. It doesn't have to be a big thing to be a big thing. I know a couple, this is no joke. The guy had a habit. He smacked gum all the time. And when he sat down to eat, he'd take his chewing gum out and stick it on the plate. And his wife's over there just... Ended up divorcing over that. Another guy I knew loved softball. Told his wife, I love softball. I love softball more than anything. I love softball more than you. I'm going to play softball every weekend. I'm going to play softball till I'm old and decrepit and can't play softball anymore. I love softball more than you, the kids, church, God, anything. I love softball. Those are the kind of things you need to learn before you marry somebody. <laughs> so, what direction are you heading? Where are you going in your life? What's happening in the living of your life? What you allow on the journey is going to become your, re your reality. You allow people to mistreat you, they're going to. If you allow people to take advantage of you, they're going to. If you allow the devil to torment your mind with negativity and doubt and irritation, he's going to. While Pastor Don and I were in South Carolina fishing and, and having a little time away this week, we drove by a driveway, because I took her around and showed her some sights, you know, and we drove by a man's driveway, and you, at these places that are out in the middle of nowhere, a lot of times people have their own road signs made, you know, like Brad and Rihanna would have Sims Way, you know, and, you know, uh, Everett and Kay would have Brown Boulevard, you know, going up to their house or whatever. Uh, my, my street sign would say, don't enter, you know, whatever. But <laughs> we passed by a guy's street sign. You know what it said? I couldn't believe it. I started to stop and take a picture of it and show it to you. It said, Murphy's Law Drive. I thought, man, I don't even want to know who that is. I don't want to meet that guy. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want his pussy spirit oozing on me. I don't want his toxic little attitude coming out on me. Because if you believe in Murphy's Law, like I grew up hearing that all the time, Murphy's Law, if anything can go wrong, it will. And we've probably all heard that. Many of you here today probably grew up hearing that. Because, you know, there's, and the reason it is, is this. You have one desired outcome in a, in a scenario where there is a plethora of possible permutations of outcomes. And if the one outcome doesn't occur, then some other variation of it occurs. We say, well, see there, it didn't work Murphy's Law. But that's such a doubt-filled, negative mentality and a paradigm. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. We've got to reprogram this stuff we've been raised up with all our lives. We've got to get out of this doubt. We've got to stop speaking negativity over our lives. We've got to stop speaking death. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. When you talk about how bad things are and how difficult it is and you glorify the challenges and you build up the negativity and you talk about how if anything can go wrong, it will. If there's a bad one in the bunch, I'll buy it. If there's a possibility for it to mess up, it will. You are actually feeding it with your 
words and you're giving it life to come into your life and to bear fruit in your life. You really are. Every miracle just about in the whole Bible took place because somebody spoke words. The creation itself occurred because God said, let there be light. Jesus stood up in the boat and said, peace be still. He walked up to Lazarus' tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. He went to the dead girl's parlor and said, Talitha kumai. He spoke and the words he spoke. He also spoke to the fig tree and said, may no one ever eat figs from you again. And it withered and died at the root. Our words have great power. The power to bring life, the power to bring death. And we've grown up, many of us, in a culture and with a mindset and a paradigm and a mentality that pretty much if anything can go wrong, it will. Murphy's Law Drive. I cannot imagine a worse name to name your driveway. Maybe hell might be worse. And there is actually a community in South Carolina not far from where I live. I kid you not. And the community is called Hellhole Swamp. Wouldn't you like to take a tour there? Hellhole Swamp. Welcome to Hellhole Swamp. You know. Sometimes it's time for a new direction. Sometimes it's time to say enough is enough. Sometimes it's time for us to rise up and say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of the Philistines taking beans out of this field. I'm sick and tired of the devil stealing my joy. I'm sick and tired of people speaking death over me and me allowing it, allowing it to happen. I'm sick and tired of standing by while I allow the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy my peace and my hopes. I'm sick and tired of allowing the setbacks and disappointments in life to steal my dreams. I'm sick and tired of just accepting something less than what I really hope would happen. Enough is enough. It's time to draw your sword, walk out into the bean field, and stand there and say, enough is enough already. You're not taking one more bean out of this field unless you do it over my dead body. Sometimes we need to get to that place in our lives as people of God. And there's no Philistines coming to your house to steal your tomatoes. You're not going to come home today and there's an army of Philistines looking at you with bags of tomatoes and beers and sores. You know. What you are going to find is thoughts in your head, words that people speak over you, things that are unfair that happen to you at work, doors that seem to just refuse to open for you. Don't accept it anymore. Stop allowing it to take root in your heart. Well, that's just the way it is. I guess it's just my destiny. I guess God's just not going to do a miracle for me. Stop it in the name of Jesus. Draw your sword. Walk out into the field. Say enough is enough, man. I'm done with this. Enough is enough. You're not taking my joy. You're not taking my dreams. You're not poisoning my hopes and my, my possibilities. You're just not. Sometimes you've got to go to war for what you believe is yours and what you believe is right. The second point I want to get across to us today is that a new reality requires a new strategy. A new reality requires a new strategy. Now listen to me, this is important. Nothing in this world changes just because we want it to. I want to say that again. Nothing in this world changes solely because we want it to. We have to become the engine of that change in our lives with the help and grace of God. 
One time I was deer hunting. I carry a GPS unit. I don't just carry a compass. I carry a GPS unit. By the way, for all you outdoorsmen, Cabela's is having a sale right now. And if you want a handheld GPS unit, they got one of the, my opinion, one of the best ones in the world on sale for almost 200 bucks off. It's the uh, Garmin Oregon Series 650T. If you ever buy a GPS unit, you want to see the T beside it. Because that means the entire topographical base map of all of North America is inside that compass and included in the purchase price. If it doesn't have a T on it, you're going to have the southeast in there probably. But if you go anywhere else, if you go to the Rocky Mountains to hunt elk or you go to Pennsylvania to hunt deer, you want to use it, you're going to have to buy a separate little SD card to put in that GPS. And they're about 100 bucks a piece for each quadrant of the country. And there are several quadrants, not just four. So I was out with my GPS unit, and I had walked down this steep mountain, and I sat over this real thick area. I, I like to hunt thick areas because I'll tell you something about deer hunting. The place that looks like deer just have their annual family reunion, you know, is probably not where you're going to see deer. Now, you'll see does, and you'll see little spikes and basket heads, but if you want to hunt trophy deer, and that's pretty much what I hunt is trophy deer, then you have to get in number one places where they like and number two places where other hunters aren't. And usually that means two things. It means walking a long ways, which I do. And it also means hunting in very thick places because real big bucks like thick, gnarly places in the woods. So I'm overlooking this impenetrable thicket. And uh, the storm comes up and it starts pouring down rain. Well, I've got a poncho, so I bring my poncho out and I put it on and my GPS unit's waterproof so I'm not worried but I look at the GPS unit and just out of curiosity I punched up the truck go to and it gave me an arrow straight across the swamp I'm like now I know that can't be right I just walked down that mountain behind me I know I know the truck is up at the top of that hill how come my GPS unit is pointing me across this swamp it take you two days to walk across that what's wrong with my GPS unit I took out my compass and the readings were 180 degrees opposite. GPS showed north that way. Compass showed north behind me. Guess which one I trusted? Electronics. They come from the factory with their own demon. Well, I got home. <clears throat> I had just gotten this unit. I got home and I started messing around with it. And I realized I had not calibrated the internal compass of the GPS unit. So I went through the compass calibration, which is kind of weird because you have to stand there and you have to do this, you know, until it says, okay, do the next. Then you have to do this with it, and then you have to do this with it, and you calibrate it. And so Donna's watching me, and I'm out in the yard. I'm doing this. <laughs> then I'm doing this. Then I'm doing this. <laughs> he's worshiping this thing. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Once I got it fixed, I took the compass out. Measured it up against the GPS unit. Perfect alignment. I had to recalibrate the compass. I had to get it right again. You have to come to the place where you trust your compass more than anything else. You don't trust the latest, greatest gizmo. You don't trust somebody's latest, greatest scheme. You trust the tried and true, proven dynamic that will get you where you're going and back again. You trust what is trustworthy. The compass will always be more trustworthy than the GPS. Always. You always carry a compass in addition 
to your GPS unit? What if you fall and break your GPS? What if, you, what if it decides it's going to freak out? I had one one time I was hunting in Kentucky, and my GPS unit just locked up. I was forever going northwest. Nothing I did changed. I couldn't even turn it off. It just sat there and ran the batteries out. In fact, I had to go through four of those GPS units at the Bass Pro Shop to find one that finally worked right. Trust your compass. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that we have a compass in life, and the compass is the Word of God. When the latest book, which is sort of like the newest GPS, comes along, it may or may not be calibrated correctly. You calibrate it against the Word of God. I don't care who the man is. I don't care who the woman who wrote the book is. If what they write in the book doesn't line up with the Bible, throw it away and trust the original compass to keep you straight. You've got to trust your compass. You've got to believe in the instruments. A lot of young airplane pilots that crash into mountains or crash into the water and die do so because what, what seemed to be real to them in the fog or in the rain wasn't reality and they couldn't bring themselves to trust that compass. You've got to trust the compass. I've been, I've been lost in the woods like two times my whole life. And it's no fun. And if you just go where you're... And, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, I've got my own internal compass. I love you, but you don't. <laughs> Nobody does. And you can prove that. You take somebody to a swamp in Louisiana on a cloudy day, spin them around six times and leave, they're going to be there until somebody comes and says, here's the way out. <laughs> you got to trust your compass. The second thing about a new reality is that the beginning of your journey might not look anything like where you're going to end up. And a lot of times we start out on a journey, we start out on something that God's doing in our lives, and we, we get to going good, and we, and we think, man, this isn't what I signed up for. This doesn't look anything like where I thought I was going. If we all decided, hey, let's take a week off and go to Panama City Beach. Let's just go. I heard some amens. I saw somebody shiver. They felt the anointing on that. When we got in the road and headed from here to Columbus to get on 431 to head toward PCB, we wouldn't, we wouldn't all stop on 185 and say, look, pastor, we've been driving for an hour. We're down here, and you said we were going to the beach. All I see is pine trees. You lied to us. None of you would do that because you realize that the destination does not resemble the journey necessarily. You realize that where you're going to end up is not the same as where you start off. I want you to understand when you start something new in your life with God, where it's going to end up, the destination might not look like the journey. That doesn't mean you stop. It doesn't mean you quit. It doesn't mean you take the compass and say, this thing don't work. It said it's going to take me to the beach. All I see is pine trees. If we were going to, 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 to uh, Michigan, if we were going to go to uh, Mackinac Island, Michigan, which is one of the places I want to go as bad as anywhere in the world. Get out there and go to the Grand Hotel and take my sweetie pie and sit under a tree. And Oh, I just, I'll stop there. Anyway, I want to go to Mackinac Island. When we got to the Smoky Mountains, we wouldn't stop and go, this ain't right. We're supposed to be looking at Lake Michigan. There's supposed to be an island and a big lake out here. All I see is mountains. Something's wrong with this journey. We wouldn't do that. We'd keep going. 
on your journey with God, you're going to go through desert places. You may go through mountainous peaks that takes a lot of effort to get across. You may have to ford rivers like the mighty Mississippi on the journey. But keep going. And you know why you keep going? Because you trust the compass that you're headed toward Michigan. You trust the compass that no matter what it looks like, you're still going in the right direction. I want to tell you, don't trust your circumstances. Trust God's Word. Don't trust what people say. Trust God's Word. Don't trust how you feel. Trust God's Word. Don't look at the past and use it to judge your future. Trust God's Word. Trust the compass. Trust the compass. Trust the compass. When all else fails, you know God's got your direction right here. Another thing about a compass I've learned is you can't just look at it once. I can't just say, all right, I'm headed straight south yonder way. I put my compass in my pocket and start walking. Everybody in this room, one side of your body automatically takes a slightly shorter step than the other. Nobody in here can walk a straight line for any long-term distance. That's why people walk in circles in the woods. It's not because of the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere. It's because of our human gait. We don't walk evenly. We all have one, one leg takes a slightly shorter step than the other. And so you have to, you can't, you can't just look at a compass one time. You have to keep referring to that compass. Or you pick a spot in the distance and walk toward that spot that you can see. One time my father and I were on a squirrel hunt with about 15 other people. And this was in a, a swamp in South Carolina. And one of the guys in the group was named Danny. And nothing would do Danny. We had killed, I don't know how many squirrels and some quail and a couple of raccoons. And, and uh, Danny just had to stop and, and cook. He, nothing would do. He had to stop and cook some squirrels. So my dad said, you guys, it's like 8 o'clock. It's going to be dark here shortly. We, we need to keep going. And or maybe it was earlier than that. It was like like 6 o'clock and it was going to be dark in like 7 o'clock and dad said we need to go and we'll cook at the truck no daddy said it ain't the same we need to cook down here in the woods it's, it's for the boys it's, it's more like more like the manly thing to do cook down here in the swamp that's it it's the same thing if we do it right up in the woods beside the truck and we can see the truck it's going to be dark I know these woods here's what Danny said I know these woods like the back of my hand he said we'll be fine my daddy and I should have known right then we started, we started cooking, and we ate some squirrel. And that, by the way, for those of you who are gate squirrel, squirrel's really pretty good. Raccoon and possum, not so much, but squirrel's good. You've got you, you to be a man of great faith to eat raccoon. Anyway, we got finished eating. It was dark. Danny says, I know the way out of here. So we leave the stream. We walk for about 30 minutes. We come right back to the stream, right back to the fire, right back to our footprints. I don't understand this, he said, because none of these men had a compass. Because all of them said, I got a compass in my head. No, we don't. That's like saying, I know God's will in my flesh. I don't need his word. Nah. So we did it again. We walked through the woods, came right back to the same spot, right back to the fire, right back to the squirrel bones, right back to the place. Daddy said, listen. He said, I'm tired of walking around the woods. It's 9 o'clock now. He said, I'm taking me and my boy. We're going home. Danny said, Oh, I've been hunting this branch all my life. You don't know how to get out of here anymore than I do that. He said, I'm going to take my son. I'm walking straight to the truck. The truck is right up there on top of that hill. Danny said, No, it ain't. It's over there on the other side of the swamp. Daddy said, Bye. 
He said, Roland, grab hold of my belt and don't let go. Yes, sir. And don't you drop that shotgun either. Yes, sir. I grabbed hold of my daddy's belt. And he looked over his shoulder one time. And he said, all right, no flashlight. Those, back in the old day, macho men didn't take flashlights. And we took off. Like, daddy was like a charging rhinoceros through the woods. And all the stuff he went through hit me in the face. I looked like I'd been flogged when I got done. I mean, that was all I could do. My little feet, I was like eight years old. I'm just trying to keep up with my dad. He's crashing through stuff. He's breaking stuff down. And sure enough, we climbed to the top of the hill and almost run into the truck. Daddy said, I told you. He said, I'm going to wait here. He said, in a few minutes, you're going to hear somebody shoot down in the swamp, and it'll be Danny, and he'll be asking me to help. So Daddy cranked up the truck, turned on the lights, honked the horn. About five minutes later, we heard, boom. Daddy took his shotgun, boom. A few minutes later, we heard, boom, a little closer. Daddy took a shotgun, boom, and we boomed our way, and they finally made it up to the truck. So we on the way home. Daddy said, son, do you know how I, find our, I found our way out without a compass? I said, no, sir, I wanted to know that, though. He said, I knew that the North Star didn't move, and I knew where the truck, truck was. So I put the North Star over my shoulder, and I kept it there, and I kept looking back at it, and I knew as long as I kept that star constant over my shoulder, I was going in the right direction. And we were able to walk a straight line out to the truck. And I'm like, that's good. All that was beyond me at eight years old. I didn't care. I'm just glad I was with Daddy. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm like, I ain't going nowhere with Uncle Danny. <laughs> you can't just look at a compass once. You can't just look at the North Star once. You've got to keep referring. We have to keep going back to God's Word, guys. We've got to keep going back to the truth. We've got to keep going back to the standard. You can't just come here today and listen to me preach the word this one time and carry that through all week and never do it any day of the, other, of the week other than today. You may be someplace strange by Saturday night. <laughs> Lastly, I want to close with this thought. <clears throat> there is no substitute for action. There is no substitute for action. When you get ready to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm ready to walk out into the bean field of my mind, the bean field of my marriage, the bean field of my job, the bean field of my own personal fears. I'm ready to draw a sword. I'm ready for change in my life. I'm ready to say enough is enough. I'm ready to stop the enemy from stealing from me. When you get ready to do that, there's a couple of things I want to leave you with. And one is that a compass guarantees your right direction, but it does not guarantee an easy, smooth journey. It does not guarantee a smooth journey. A lot of times we start doing stuff in the kingdom of God and we start reading the Bible and, you know, we get these little blue plastic boxes of stuff called precious promises. And we cherry pick these verses. Oh, the enemy will come against you in one direction and flee from you in seven. Oh, hallelujah. We like that. I threatened all my life to write a whole little... I'm not, and the reason I'm not going to do it is because I, I, they wouldn't sell. But to, to put a box out called Not-So-Precious Promises. The first one, all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Oh, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? Uh, you know. If you look at a woman, uh, Not-So-Precious Promises. The compass guarantees your direction. It does not guarantee an easy journey. There's an old, old country western song. Country western songs are amazing. You play them backwards, 
You get out of prison, your wife comes home and your dog comes back. <laughs> my dad listened to country western music all my life. I still know every word to Marty Robbins. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. I know every word. Right now I can sing it right now. I won't torture you with it, but I do. I know every word. Big John, Big John, Big Bad John. Every word. I can sing it right now. Be careful what you listen to. It lodges. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning. Blacker than night were the eyes of Felina, wicked and evil while casting a spell. Anyway. Now I've got everybody here. Do I know every word? Do I know every word? A smooth journey is not going to make you a better mountain climber. A smooth sea is not going to make you a better sailor. An easy journey through the woods is not going to make you a more avid, capable woodsman. It's important to understand that the compass guarantees direction, but it does not guarantee a smooth journey. There used to be an old western country song, and I don't know who did it or what the song was, but one of the phrases in there just said, I never promised you a rose garden. I beg your pardon. Terrible song. But anyway, God never promised us a rose garden. He never promised us that everything would be easy. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. So don't ever imagine that the Christian life is going to be this primrose path of peace and joy with no adversarialism involved in it. It's going to be filled with fighting. That's why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. We are in a war. It doesn't matter if you want to be in one or not. You're in one. You're in the battle. You've been given the weaponry. We can't just sit back and quote our favorite verses. We've got to be realists with God. God and understand that in this world we're going to have trouble, but Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't promise us an easy, painless, conflict-free journey. He promised to make us strong enough in Him to overcome on that journey. There's a huge difference between those two realities. The compass doesn't guarantee a smooth journey. Secondly, the compass won't walk for you. We can have the best compass in the world. This is probably the best compass in the world been certified as the most accurate. You can even do the magnetic declination. Anyway, we can have the best compass in the world. We can have the best gear, a backpack full of the, the 12 C's of survivability that we need to live in, this, in, a, in, a, in a wilderness environment and thrive. We can have all that on us. We can have a head full of skill and knowledge. But if we're not willing ourselves to do the doing of it, we're never going to get off the recliner at the house. It'll all just be a fantasy and a dream. This compass is not going to take one step for me. Knowing what to do and actually doing it are two very different things. It is not enough that we know what to do. It is not enough that we know the right direction to walk in. It is not enough that we understand the dynamics of spiritual warfare and how to fight it. That's not enough. At some point, we have to sham of the thing. We have to walk out in the field. We have to reach over and draw the sword. And we have to make a proclamation. No more beings out of this field over my dead body. Enough's enough. Now you want some? Here it is. Come get it. Sometimes you just got to look at the devil square on the face and say enough is enough. You just have to go to war. And the last thing, and if you guys will come and play, I want you to remember this. 
If you do your part, the compass will always do its part. If you do your part in your walk with God, the compass will also do its part. It won't walk for you. It won't go out and pave the road for you. It won't take a machete and cut down the grass for you and chop the weeds out of the way. It won't help you climb the mountain. But it will give you the direction. It will guarantee you're headed right. But it is up to you and me to take action. It is up to us to do the doing of it. Have you ever thought about this? In the Bible, God would tell the nation of Israel, Go and take that city. Because I've given it to you. But you know what they had to do? They had to saddle up their horses. They had to sharpen their swords, string their bows, make some new arrows, brandish their lances, put on their armor. They had to climb on their horses, and they had to ride toward the city. And when they got there, they had to actually do the fighting. They had to do the doing that made the promise of God become reality. That's exactly the same way it is right now. A lot of people in our movement and the circles of Christianity today make it sound like all you got to do is have Peter Pan religion. Think your happy thought and you can fly and everything's going to be wonderful. But that's not reality. The reality is God made us warriors to fight and to win. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors. It says we're overcomers in His name. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of what? The faith. Now, it doesn't just mean necessarily fight the good fight of Christianity or fight the good fight of the kingdom. It means fight the fight of faith inside yourself. Win the battle between doubt and fear and faith and trust. Fight the fight of faith. The fight of believing God to take you to the conclusion of your journey. To take you to your destiny. It's a fight sometimes. To hold on to the faith. It's a fight sometimes to keep believing. To keep walking forward. When the the, the compass is telling you you're going in the right direction. But nothing looks familiar. Nothing looks like you you promised me the destination was going to look like. This, This hike is not easy. We're supposed to be going to Panama City. And here we are climbing a mountain. That doesn't make any sense to me. Listen, there are going to be times along the journey of your life. That what you see stacking up around you is not going to make sense with what you feel like God told you he's going to do in your life your life don't sweat it trust the compass keep walking keep going keep moving the bible says and i want you to hear this as i close the bible says faithful is he who began a good work in you to see it through to completion god is not finished with you yet what god promised you He doesn't have an IQ of 220. His IQ knows no limit. He has not forgotten one promise He made to you. Not one. All across the decades of your life, you can look back. God has never forgotten one thing He ever told you He was going to do. Not one. He's never resigned from being God. He's not tired. He's not going to be voted out. He's never going to die. He's going to be God most high forever and ever. You can trust on that. He's always going to lead and guide you. What does he say? The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God's got you. But don't you worry when things don't look like you thought they would. Don't you worry when the journey is more difficult than you thought it should have been. 
Don't you worry when God promised you pristine beaches and open sandy plains and a view of the ocean and all you can see around you is a briar patch. Don't sweat it. God knows what he's doing. Keep walking. Keep moving. You do your part, the compass will do its part. What direction are you headed today? Where are you going today? I want to close with these three statements and we're going to pray. Number one, a godly father sets the compass in the right direction for his family. A godly father sets the compass in the right direction for his family. A godly father wants his family in church and he doesn't want to send them there or shuttle them there. He wants to take them there and he wants them to see him worship God. My dad was a bull of a man. He worked hard all his life. If you remember, uh, if you remember the guy that played the Wild Wild West, Robert Conrad. In his younger years, my dad looked almost like his identical twin. It looked very much alike, hauntingly familiar. Every time I see a picture of Robert Conrad, it reminds me of my dad when he was younger. But my dad was way stronger than Robert Conrad. He could take a bathroom scale and press 300 pounds on it, pick up a Chevy engine block and walk off with it. He was just a strong, strong man. Walk up to your car, bend down and just lift up the back wheel right off the ground. He was, he was a muscular, powerful man. Not real tall, but built like a bull. And my dad would, would take me to church with my mom and our sisters. And I'd see him. He sat right where you're sitting in, in the blue shirt. He sat right there. And I'd see my dad. As a little boy, I'd look over and I'd see that big old hand with those ropey sinews down that forearm and those fingers that looked like five bananas on a frying pan. I'd see that big hand go up in the air and I'd see him stand there and worship God. Man, that impacted me. I mean, the preacher can say what he wants to. He's a preacher. He's supposed to yap about good stuff. But my daddy's over there with his hands up. If my daddy can put his hands up and worship God, I know that's what real men do. Because I know my daddy's a real man. He ain't scared of nothing. And it impacted me. I'm not saying you've got to you know, be Chuck Norris and have hair on your knuckles, but I am saying we need to model Christianity for our families. We need to be fearless men of the faith who are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Real men worship God fearlessly. The second thing I want to leave you with today is a godly father leads his family by example. And the last thing is I dare you to rise up and be the man of God. Jesus died. To make you. I dare you. I dare you. The I dare you award in my high school was the most coveted prized award because it was a challenge. We see the potential in you. We believe you have it in you to be the most impacting, high level, successful person in this whole school. But it's up to you to accept the challenge. Will you take the dare? I dare you today. I challenge every man on Father's Day, to decide enough is enough. I'm not going to allow my life to just percolate alone in some comfort zone. I'm not going to allow us to just be average Christians. I'm not going to allow us to be tense and frustrated and negative. I'm not going to allow my marriage to be average. I'm not going to allow my spiritual climate of my home to be lukewarm. No, I'm going to rise up and we're going to be the people of God, the family of God, have the house of God. I'm going to be the man of God that Jesus died to make me. 
You can do this thing. It is one decision away. Let's stand.